I think I was quite freaked out when they were babies about the extent to which my freedom and my life was being curtailed, mm-hmm. even though I'd chosen it. And all of a sudden I just burst into tears. Yeah. Because I realised that we'd finally made it. It's such a relief. <laughs> it is. That's exactly, that's the perfect word really, isn't it? Yeah. It's, it's a relief. Welcome to Mother Other, a podcast exploring the space between motherhood and our desire for personal development and fulfillment. I am your host, Amy Pearson. This podcast is produced on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, and I wish to acknowledge them as the traditional owners. I would also like to pay my respects to their elders past, present and emerging. Hi. Wow. What a time, huh? Week four of stage four lockdown for me down here in Nam, also known as Melbourne. To anyone who's listening and also in lockdown here, solidarity. We truly pulled the short straw here in Victoria and it's just so hard, but I'm so proud of us for getting through it all so far. And spring has sprung. I'm truly ready for picnics in the park and backyard dinners with friends. I turned 30 in less than 30 days and I'm feeling a lot of things. It certainly feels like a milestone. Today's incredibly belated episode features Ash Davenport, mum to two girls, Franny and Dee Dee. Ash is the author of Sad Mum Lady, an incredibly frank and funny memoir about her experience throughout pregnancy and the first few years of her kids' lives. I think I should pop a content warning in here. Uh, for postpartum depression, drug use, suicide, and swearing. If you're sensitive to those topics or if you have a little one around, just be aware. This is a funny episode, like so funny. I laughed my way through and then had a dumb grin on my face the entire day afterwards, which was like a month ago now. Ash manages to share her vulnerability so openly, casually discussing such raw and deeply personal experiences while simultaneously injecting a healthy dose of humour. I truly cannot fathom that skill. It is beyond me, that's for sure. I guess that is also the perfect explanation of the book, Sad Mum Lady. It takes you much deeper into the realities of motherhood than most of the memoirs I've read and what most people tell you. But it also makes you laugh out loud. And we need that. We really need that. In fact, after re-listening to this conversation and reliving my own postpartum experience, I've realized that humor is something that would really help us to survive that incredibly fragile time. We need support, yes. We need more attention on the mum than the baby, yes. We need more hands-on help with mundane tasks so we can focus on caring for our baby. But how incredible would it be if someone was there to remind us of that hilarious side of life. We can fall so far into a deep, dark pit of survival within that first few months and, well, even the first year if you don't have physical support around you. So there's some advice for anyone who has a postpartum mum in their lives. Bring them a meal, do their dishes, walk their dog, lend an ear, and perhaps even inject a daily dose of laughs into their lives. I am sure they'll be forever appreciative of that. Okay, I'm going to leave it there. Please enjoy this hilarious episode. I hope it brings some brightness to your day, especially if you're in stage four lockdown like me. I'm going to re-listen to it myself because I just enjoy listening to Ash talk so much. Also, you should follow her on Instagram if you don't already. 
I'll leave a link in the show notes. Here it is. Today's guest is Ash Davenport, mum of two and author of the newly released book of short stories titled Sad Mum Lady. Would you classify it as a memoir? A memoir, technically. A memoir. I like it. <laughs> I absolutely loved it, obviously, and devoured it very quickly. It's uh, brimming with raw humour, deeply vulnerable truths about what it's actually like to be a mum, minus the veneer of Instagram filters and what I like to call patriarchal fantasies <laughs> about motherhood. Mm, so true. I find it so rare to find books like this about motherhood because I read a lot and um, I find myself drawn towards books about motherhood now that I am one and a lot of the time they're not really my cup of tea. Um, but, yeah, you're so frank and blatantly honest and I applaud you for your efforts. It's a great, great book. Thank you so much, Amy. That's really nice. And it's so nice to be on your lovely podcast. So mm -hmm. thank you for having me as well. <laughs> Absolute pleasure. Um, you've described it as being about a woman who loves her kids but hates motherhood and also state that your hope is that it will help some lonely people feel less alone. Um, and I think it absolutely, like you've nailed that. And if I had been actually given this book when it was if it was available when I just had a baby, it would have been really helpful, but obviously it wasn't around at that at that point because I found a lot of solace in it even a year on um, because my baby's 15 months old now. Yeah, I could relate to so much, so much of what you said. So thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me about it all today. Of course, it was my pleasure. I wish I had the book as well. That's mm. kind of why I started writing it. I needed that book um, at that time, but I didn't have it. Um, I didn't obviously have the hindsight to make it funny and to make it hopeful. So I think a lot of the early versions were just, um, you know, humor covering up pain as opposed to pain and, you know, creating humor from that more vulnerable place. <laughs> so it, yeah, eventually I got there, but that, that was the thinking I, was so lonely after I became a mum. Yeah. I just needed this friend and so mm. I created this friend called Sad Mum Lady. It's perfect. So you're saying the first drafts sort of didn't have a lot of humour in them but obviously it's very funny now to me. So you worked on that, did you? Well, I actually think <clears throat> they they had humour but it was a defensive kind of humour and it was, well, um, I, I'm in pain, so I'd better cover that up with some jokes mm. because I, I'm, I saw admitting the pain and the sadness just on its own as like a failure. Mm, right, yeah, yeah. Um, so I was like better um, lighten that up and brighten that up and make that kind of um, like this Accessible. almost like a, yeah, and, and like a sardonic kind of sarcasm almost to mm. it. Um, but I think where it got to was, um, yes, I'm in pain. Yes, I'm sad. And yes, there is deeply funny moments in this, um, in this one. Mm. So yeah, I don't know. They were defensive. The early version of the book was quite defensive. I Which think rereading it. Mm, it's understandable though. I mean, at that time you are feeling very alone and isolated and defensive and we will get into that. So I wanted to get you to sort of start off by telling us who you're a mother to. 
Sure. I'm a mother to a four-year-old, her name's Dee Dee, and a two-year-old whose name is Franny. So they are the names in the book? Yeah. No, I didn't change anyone's names. Oh, cool. I didn't know about that. So Sad Mum Lady, as I've mentioned earlier, is a phenomenal feat given you've been growing and raising two humans for what I'm guessing is about a decade? Half a decade. That's what I meant. Half a decade? Yeah, about that. Yeah, Dee Dee's five in March. Yeah, I thought so. So can you tell me about your life and who you were as a working woman before motherhood? As a working woman, I was a copywriter. So I was working for myself and and I still do a bit of writing for brands and that kind of thing Um, and a bit of agency work as well. And this was really my, the book was my first venture into the writing world. Like it's my first book, obviously, but um, I was Mm. kind of learning as I went. And before that, I worked in a production company for a little bit. I've done lots of waitressing over the years. I've been fired from like 12 restaurants. It was great. I've I've almost been fired from a restaurant and I think just my personality type is like terrified of things like getting fired so I sort of was put under the thumb pretty easily but man I would have loved to like tell them what I really thought to be honest it can be pretty grueling work it was grueling yeah and I wasn't the right personality for it I had a really bad attitude and I was late a lot of the time and in hospo (laughs) you really can't be both you can have a bit of an attitude and be on time or vice versa but not both I love it. So you've mentioned, um, I've heard that you've mentioned consciously making the decision to have kids with your partner, but I wonder for you personally, is maternal desire something that you'd always felt or is this something that came about later in life? Not at all. I had zero maternal desire. When people would give me their child, my whole body would go stiff And I still have the muscle memory, even though I'm so much more comfortable with other people, obviously comfortable with my own children, but other people's kids, I will still default into this uncomfortable place. And it's like, hello there, young man. Hello, how was your day? I'm so (laughs) awkward, but I, it's, yeah, I don't think it's really how I feel about kids now, but it just became my response. So it's kind of ingrained, weirdly. I thought having kids would change it. Yeah, you did. Okay. Cause I wondered about that. Like, how did you visualize it beforehand? Because obviously the book is pretty raw and you open up a lot about your experience and how hard it is. And I wonder how much of the reality was what you envisioned beforehand or how much of it was a shock, you know? Yeah. I think all of it was a shock. I just was blissfully kind of ignorant going into it Um, and I didn't really have time to think about it because my partner and I just decided we didn't want to keep partying so we should do something else with our lives and (laughs) why not have a baby? That seems fine, people do that, let's have one. And we were really incredibly lucky and also cursed in a way because we got pregnant straight away or I got pregnant straight away and we never thought about it beyond that so it's like oh well see we this just happens everything will just fall into place 
I don't really need to think about this at all. Um, and so, yeah, I was extremely shocked by it all. Mm. Totally. Um, I have a passage in the book here that I absolutely loved. I have to read it out because um, it was too long to write it down. Um, so just bear with me for one second. If people knew how bad this was, I said to a friend two weeks after the birth, nipples flashing red like emergency lights under my dressing gown, they would be sterilised on their 13th birthdays. My disdain for the job at hand grew with each passing day. I had been horrified by pregnancy and its routine takeover of my body, mind and identity at large, and the birth had been a shit show, but neither event disturbed me quite so deeply as motherhood. The hours were were criminal and the wages were a joke. It's just so... I just love it so much. Um, It resonates a lot and I'm sure it would with heaps of people, but it relates to this question that I usually ask people, which is, did the reality of motherhood fulfill the idea that you sort of envisioned or, you know, I guess you said you made a pretty rash decision to have kids. So I just wonder how much of the reality in your brain became the reality in your life. And I guess reading this book, answers that question but for the listeners would you like to expand on that a little bit sure um yeah so it was a rude shock it I've likened it to being hit in the face with a brick (laughs) everything was every kind of analogy that I had was a really violent and um painful one I think the birth surely um was connected to that the violent feeling because it was Mm. so um intervened and not in a way that I'd planned for or wanted and you know lots of people feel that way when they have the birth that doesn't go to plan um Mm. but it began with this feeling of being robbed of something like my baby was just taken from me and then the added kind of layer of oh my god my body doesn't know how to birth this baby my body has failed me on this really fundamental level Mm. and that just you know things just started out so with so much doubt and I just um I was just scrambling from there on and during the pregnancy as well I, I did have that a milder version of those feelings like suddenly my life had changed suddenly you know people were um, asking me all kinds of really intimate questions and passing judgment on my coffee mm. order and all of those things that happened during pregnancy and that felt really violating to me mm. but then the birth was just another level entirely And I just took a really long time to recover from that. So with all those, you know, sleepless nights and and body pains and breastfeeding pains and um, this feeling that you've you've lost your identity and all the things that come with the baby arriving um, were so intensified for me. I just, they they overwhelmed me and and I missed a lot of the baby wonderful things um especially with Dee Dee's birth um so yeah that I was much more focused on um on motherhood happening to me as opposed to something that I was really actively choosing yeah and as we both know connecting to new people and maintaining friendships and relationships becomes really difficult at that time um it's a tumultuous time 
especially becoming a new mum for the first time. And if you're suffering from some kind of PPD in which I'm assuming you experienced and in retrospect I can relate to myself, um, I'm going to quote another passage here which is probably my favourite passage in the whole book and it just sums up so much. It says, I didn't know that the first year of stay-at-home motherhood was a game of emotional survivor and without alliances you were cast onto your own little island of darkness. Like just you summed up pretty much my experience in that passage. Um, did you, you? And I'm so sorry that you had that experience as well. Yeah, it's, 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 not, it's not and it's funny because looking back, I don't think I was fully aware of that at the time and I don't think a lot of people knew that about me either because like you say a lot in the book, I was trying to hide that from people and act like I was fine, um, which is a coping mechanism I suppose. But did you ever find a connection to other mums who experienced that major psychological and physical shift of motherhood or is it something that you never really quite did connect with other mums in that way? I was able to do it through the blog, which is how the book started, um, mm. but not really in real life. I would share a little bit with a good friend of mine, Abby, um, who had kids, uh, young kids and was having, you know, it was around the same time that I had kids. I shared a little bit with her, but I was re- very conscious of um, if she ever kind of showed any concern for me, then I would just completely shut down. I was happy yeah. to connect with her about the hard side and the lonely side of um, motherhood, but again, only in like this jokey, like, oh, can you believe it's only 10 a.m.? This is the longest yeah. day, uh, you know, in the history of the world, blah, blah, blah. But if she was ever like, oh, do you actually need help? I'd be like, oh, yuck, shut it down. Yeah. No, totally <laughs> yeah. fine. But yeah. yeah, I think on the internet, it was just, you know, a safer place to mm. really share those feelings and um, send, you know, emails back to people who would email me and voice those feelings there. But it's such a shame mm. because it just... I look back on it now and think how many missed opportunities there were to really connect with another parent that Mm. might have been having a hard time as well. Yeah, and it's so hard to know because like we are both saying it's not something we were pretty open about at the time. It's something that you sort of see in retrospect as, oh, wow, I was really struggling. I really should have actually reached out to someone in a different way. Um, What about your experiences with other friendships during that time if you – you didn't obviously find anyone to divulge those dark thoughts to, but did your friendships morph and change over the years of early motherhood that you already had? Well, I had one major blow up um, with a good friend who's actually been on your podcast before. We're friends again now. Yeah, Sunny. So her and I were really close and she had kids, she had Fox before me, before I had Didi. And um, that was, that changed drastically because we just, um, uh, we fell apart. Um, Different views about different things, how pregnancy and birth should happen and all of these, you know, almost like fanatical beliefs that women have about anything to do with motherhood. And we really clashed and everything fell apart. Anyway, we've come together again now, but that was a real catalyst for 
a lot of the loneliness in that social um, way as well after I had kids. Mm. So I had this big falling out with the really close friend. Um, then most of my other friends didn't have kids. There was the mm. one friend who had the kids and we would sort of joke about the dark side of things, but that was it. Um, and my mother's group I just completely lost touch with because they weren't really my people, but I didn't, I never really made myself vulnerable in that setting either. So I wasn't really able to see if anyone was my people, you know? Yeah. That's like me too with the mother's group thing. It's a tough, it's a tough sort of situation to just show up with these strangers and then, and then somehow like cling to them and, and just like pour your heart out to them. That doesn't usually end up like a lot of it can end up being fake and that's uncomfortable. Yes, it's so true. And I, you also think back to like um, when there's a parent in that group, in the mother's group, for example, who is really, you can see they're really having a hard time and their baby's screaming the whole time you're in the meeting and they've their faces are just like fucked up because they haven't slept for so long. And you look at them and you're like, oh, God, no, I don't want that near me. Like I'm only hanging on by a thread and it's almost like, you know, you're just going to you're going to drag me down with you, and I need yeah. to. So you are kind of keeping a lid on it out of because you're wanting to survive as well. You you're wanting yeah. to kind of be positive and and not deter people from your energy and your friendship. Mm. But oh, it's such a catch twenty two. Because if you let totally. it all hang out, people wouldn't always kind of respond to that well, would they? No, and you know what. <laughs> The funny thing is you saying that, I think I was that person. I think the first mother's group meeting I ever went to, I only went to one, by the way, I was, it was okay. Like he was, he was a bit older than all of the other babies. So he was, and he was a baby that cried a lot and didn't sleep well. And so I felt like that person felt like everyone else kind of had it together a bit. And then the second time I showed up and he was screaming in the car and I just thought, no, I'm not going to go in this time. I'm not going to go in with a screaming baby. I'm not going to be able to relax and talk to people. I'm just going to be stressed. And then no one will want to talk to me anyway because I'll be this frantic, energetic mess. Um, so, yeah, it's totally a strange situation. But then what about uh, relationships with family like your mum and your mother-in-law, which I know you've written about a little bit in the book? How much did they change and morph? Well, that was they were the huge important transformations in both instances um but again started out really um by distancing myself from them and rejecting any advances of their help or wanting to be involved mm-hmm. i remember my mother-in-law um in not the place i live in now but the place we lived in after Didi was born she had a key to that place and that would she was given that key by my husband like after the birth and I that was like like I didn't forgive him for weeks I was like now she's got a friggin key and she can come in here and I'd hear the key in the door and like my body would just turn to stone like I needed to be I needed to be in control of who was coming into the space because the space was so hard and so freaking I was just having oh. a really bad time and um oh, yeah. it was a nightmare I just remember she'd have this like 
blow wave. She would always get the, she gets this beautiful blow wave and the blow wave would come in, poke around the door and I'd be like, no! It was like seeing a fucking monster. She's so wonderful and like is, we've come so far. Um, But she was like, she took on this kind of monstrous quality in my frazzled mind. Yeah, it happens to most people most of those relationships I think yeah, yeah. and then mum um I just completely kept out of everything she wanted to be in the delivery room and I said absolutely not we had a huge fight about it I just thought mm. she was trying to make it all about her which she kind of was like the first mother's mm-hmm. day she <laughs> thought it was still her day and like <laughs> oh my mum it's actually my day yeah. <laughs> so there was a, there was a bit of a battle um, on every front, but now mm. it's tricky, it's isn't it? Yeah. yeah, those relationships. It's so yeah. tricky. It's like you're taking over the role of being a mother now, and it, you're trying to find your footing and be, you know, put in your boundaries and make your decisions. And then there's these parents of hours that are trying to also do that and it's like no how do we get this yeah Um, my mum also wanted to be in the delivery room as well and I had to we didn't have a fight about it because she knew that once I make my decisions that's pretty final but she was pretty upset about that and this is a thing like I I don't know about you but in both of my relationships with my mother-in-law and my mum for so many years I'd never really known much about either of their emotional worlds. Like they were just these, they were figures in my life who, and and it was almost still like a, you know, the child parent dynamic where they ask you about what's going on and you kind of ask them a token thing about like someone from their work who they complained about <laughs> last time you spoke, but you don't really, you're not really listening. Yeah. Well, yeah. it was for me. And so then suddenly they kind of were needy and they had these big feelings about how they wanted to be involved and you it was sort of um grotesque in a way because you they were like <laughs> revealed as these very flawed humans and, yeah yeah and which I already knew but um about my mum but suddenly they were these kind of very vulnerable figures which was very disturbing yeah. I think Mm, that's a really good way of putting it, actually. Um, the vulnerability comes out. I, I think I knew a lot about my mother, my mother, but not my mother-in-law. And it's, it's, yeah, it's interesting starting to learn those things and manage it and see how it all pans out like years down the track. But obviously in the early stages, it's quite, uh, I've used this word before, but tumultuous. Like everyone's trying to work out where they stand and what boundaries they can have. But, yeah, the key thing, oh, I would be so upset about that. Anyone having a key to my house, like, in that situation would be terrifying. I'm sorry you had that. (laughs) Well, we moved. Three months later we moved. Um, Oh, that's good. Not only because of the key, but the key had played a part. That's hilarious. (laughs) Key back. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And then did you ever worry about what the impact motherhood would actually have on your career? Um, No, I thought everything would just work out fine. (laughs) I thought everything would be fine. I'm like, there's daycare. Hello. Daycare was invented for a reason. 
And then I think the first hurdle with that was like a wait list that I had to be on for oh, like 10 months. Melbourne, after. Right? Yeah. yeah. And the, then the cost of it and yep. uh, so many other factors. So all of this stuff was um, I discovered um, in real time when it was too late. So, yeah, yeah. I, I thought career-wise I would have a lot more freedom and flexibility than I did. Yeah. And we had to really create it ourselves. Like my partner and I, I'm so friggin' fortunate that I've got this person, my partner, who's really wants to make it work for for both of us in that department. Yeah. So, I mean, that um, he's he's just been crucial because he essentially like invested in my book and paid our rent for a year. Mm. Mm. So and the daycare fees. So then I, you know, it was kind of doable that way. Yeah, that's amazing. I actually have a few questions about the relationship, but I'm going to first ask you how much motherhood has actually impacted your identity and how you see yourself now. Mm. It just obliterated me. Um, I'm, I'm not the, really the same person as I was before. And I think that would have happened uh, anyway I just I wasn't a very happy person before having kids apart from moments of just ecstasy and wonderful things you know ecstasy the drug I'm talking about no. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Such, I was thinking, wow, you have ecstasy just in general life. That's pretty incredible. Yeah, actually, yeah. the drug and just, you know, the thing in real life. But um, overall, I had a lot of unchecked um, sadness, I guess, and and hurt and wounds that I had, I'd never healed. Mm. I was a walking pain body before Mm. I had kids from when I was like 16 years old maybe even younger um so I see having kids for me as just being this identity boot camp and it became essential for everyone myself and the kids and my partner that I deal with a lot of the stuff that I'd never dealt with before. Otherwise, mm. I just wasn't going to survive it. I, w- mm. I was going to kill myself at one point mm. during, you know, that postpartum period. About three, yeah, about two years ago was when yeah. I was, like, suicidal. So it actually became, mm. like, essential that I deal with everything. I think I yeah. would have done all of this work over a 10-year period or something had I not had kids but just suddenly it was urgent and the stakes were high. Yeah you sort of don't really get that chance very often to um, have everything ripped away from you in that way and like you sort of become this naked body of just everything that is wrong like you you're you I don't know how to word it you're I mean you're a writer you can probably word it better than me but yeah it's like you just you're fully having, yeah, you're fully having everything torn. You have nothing covering you anymore. You're just like this vulnerable mess and everything that, like you said, you have been suppressing 
it bubbles up and you can't actually move on unless you deal with it or it's going to come out in your parenting style and in your relationships like we've mentioned and everything else in your life. It's just interesting how motherhood does that and you don't really know until it happens to you. And for you, especially two kids in such a short period of time, like that's kind of double whammy. That's I'm only dealing with one and that is big already. So with the having the second so quickly when I wasn't really coping with one, I Mm. had kind of a moment of um, (laughs) ecstasy, (laughs) non-druggy ecstasy when I (laughs) thought I could just have 10 babies and everything was going to be amazing and there was nothing better than this like squishy one-year-old at the time. And Mm. also my grandma's advice was to not even blink, just have another one. Don't even blink. Don't blink. Don't blink or you'll miss it. I was like, okay. Okay, man. <laughs> wow. Such intense advice. My my biggest fear is having two under two because I know that mentally I won't cope. And so far I've managed to pass that opportunity but I mean if I have another one there's always the opportunity there but because I I I see the difficulty of it and I'm terrified but I guess you got pregnant so much sooner than now for me I think how far apart are your kids again so they're 20 months okay so I've still got time to get two in such a close range but yeah it's (laughs) Thank you. Um, Different advice from your grandma. Um, (laughs) After transitioning from pregnancy where you wrote the blog Sad Mum Lady into motherhood um, where the hours to work become obviously much more limited, was writing something you felt the urge to do in those early days when you were sort of strung out? Tell me about how the book actually got written. Yeah, I desperately needed to write down the experience because it was a way to make sense of it it was a way to laugh at it and it was a way to connect with other people which was the thing that I was really craving so much um Mm. and the attention I loved I loved the idea of getting attention so it was that just like egoic drive as well like oh this will make all of this meaningful and makes sense like the book not the kids yeah yeah (laughs) but um I think all of those drivers um you know created this driving force I suppose and I yeah I really had to write it all down yeah but I also hated everything that I wrote in the beginning so interesting and a lot of it stayed or did you did you cut it no, uh, no, so much of it went, oh, my God. I wrote, like, three versions of that book, I think. Wow. Pretty much. And um, I ended up using a lot of the stuff from my journal in the end and just making it, you know, better. Um, yeah. Because it was more the authentic feeling as opposed to trying to man- manufacture a response in the reader. Yeah, right. Going back to what you were saying about your relationship, you write a fair bit about it in the book. Um, And in one part particularly you say, 
Then I became a parent and discovered how absurdly difficult a relationship could be. Two kids in and Sam and I were officially lost and pretending not to be, which I think was kind of like it's kind of nice but it's so true as well at the same time it's just you've written in such a way that it's it's relatable but it's not really offensive either um it sounds like you have a pretty good relationship regardless of the things that you say in the book and I think a lot of support from him as you've mentioned in terms of pursuing your career which I'd love to say is lucky, but I think it should be the standard we expect from male partners, to be completely honest. (laughs) And it is lovely, but, you know. Um, Mm. Did this naturally get easier, the relationship with time, and as the kids moved out of baby and toddlerhood, or would you say that it just takes a shit ton of work if you're going to have kids to maintain a relationship with your partner? Yeah, I think you've just each got to do your own work on yourself um, in order to keep adapting to the chaos that is being parents. Otherwise, uh, if one per- if only one person's doing it and the other person's not, then you're not mm. aligned. And I think you've really got to be evolving personally at, at a similar-ish speed. It can be like, you know, give or take six months. <laughs> you can be mm. like six months out from each other. But, you know, enough of a momentum on both sides. Mm. Yeah, right. And how would you say the vision of success has changed to you personally since you became a mum? What what is it and how much does it differ now to what you thought about it pre-motherhood? Or is it the same? No, totally different. I used to think that... Um, success meant achieving goals like outside of yourself it was um, you know getting this job or completing a project or having this kind of beautiful house somewhere or living by the sea and taking a really great holiday and everything was like an external goal I suppose and since having kids I have fully understood uh, well I I understand it in theory I don't always practice it but the only thing that matters to me now is having space for myself and space for other people and that's my my kids have taught me that and my partners taught me that and my mother-in-law's taught me that and you know everyone in my life has um it's just everyone points back to that the the way that I look at how all of those relationships have evolved over the last four mm. years my relationship with Sunny now it's like mm. that that's success to me if I can if I can accept people as they are and have the space for them then I can do that for myself mm, that's really nicely put um I've just been thinking you know, we, we can't get through this conversation without mentioning lockdown, right? Because we're both experiencing lockdown for the second time. Um, so I wonder, do you have any notable things that you that sort of get you through the days or the weeks or the mundanity? I'll give you an example. Um, during the first lockdown, I kind of started this routine thing, which I don't normally really have, but I just decided one day to lock myself in the bathroom at four o'clock when my partner was home and have a bath and drink a glass of wine. 
And it was so good that I just started doing it literally every weekend, pretty much any day that I possibly could. And now it's it kind of sounds self-indulgent, but I think um, when you've had a baby hanging off your boob for 15 oh, months. Like- <laughs> a bath and wine at 4 o'clock is there. It's as necessary as breathing. <laughs> Thanks for the validation. I, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just, and you know what, some days it's just a cup of coffee, like literally is enough to get me through the day. Like, oh, I get to have a coffee um, or a second coffee. I just wonder what little like glimmers of light there are for you in your life in lockdown. Well, we've been in a really intense lockdown for the last 10 days because the girls are sick. So I can't mm. even, normally it would be a walk and letting them just kind of lead the way on their scooters and pick flowers and just really yeah. kind of getting a contact high from how friggin' present and, you know, simple it all is for them. Mm-hmm. And lockdown doesn't actually matter at all and you can just really, like, feed off that. But for the last 10 days we've been at home and mm. kind of on the couch and watching... Um, <laughs> just the worst TV and these Netflix shows that you think are just giving them, like are damaging them in some way. (laughs) (laughs) Like I'm injecting pure sugar into their eyeballs or something. So it's really, it's been a practice of just accepting that this is kind of where we're at at the moment and that's okay and then we'll do something special like we'll make popcorn on the stove instead of <laughs> in, yeah, the in the microwave, you know. <laughs> and that's just like a holiday. That's where we're at. Popcorn on the stove is like an interstate holiday. <laughs> yeah. <gasps> Will we ever get interstate? Who knows? I know. Um, oh, my whole family's interstate. They were supposed to be coming down right when lockdown hit, before lockdown hit, and they were like, we're going to have to pull out. And I was like, no, because I needed that, like, week of help because, like, I haven't had much help because they all live far away. And yeah, I was like, we're cool. going to have a date night and we're going to do this and we're going to do that. And then they pulled out and I was like, fuck. But um, somehow I'm managing to cope. I don't know. We'll see them at some point, I guess. Hold on the stove, Amy. <laughs> I'm going to give it a go. <laughs> I love it. Um, I have one final question for you, which I usually dump on people right at the end. Mm-hmm. What has motherhood given you? What's it given me? It's given me a lot more patience just because the alternative to not being patient when you're a mum is pulling out large chunks of your own hair. (laughs) So it was kind of motherhood sort of held a gun to my head and said, you better find some patience. And I found it and it's been so valuable. I never had it before and now I've got it. And I can wait in line. I mean, when office works opens again, is it still open? Anyway. I can wait in line at office works and just really just thoroughly enjoy waiting in line. And that's Is that also because you don't have kids hanging off you as well? <laughs> it's because I don't have kids and it's like a really special little moment to myself oh. that I can really um 
I, I can enjoy waiting and I was never able mm. to do that before. So that's pretty. That is nice. That's interesting. Patience. I like the gun analogy. It's pretty accurate, in fact. <laughs> um, yeah, patience. <laughs> thank you so much. I don't actually think I've laughed this much on an episode. Usually I'm like, oh, so sad, but this one's like oh, hilarious. Thanks. So thanks. thank you for um, gifting me no. those those much-needed laughs during lockdown. And um, I'm stealing your um, wine in the bath at 4 o'clock today. Like, oh, no please. Doubt. I'll yeah. cheers to you because I'll be in there too. And that's a wrap. As always, thank you endlessly for listening to today's conversation. I am so thankful to have you here joining me on this trajectory through mother and otherhood. If you love the show, please do go ahead and subscribe so that you don't miss an episode. And if you could spare a minute, rating or reviewing the podcast goes a long way to helping this show reach more ears and provide solidarity to other mothers out there who may need a little affirmation or even entertainment in their lives. See you next time.